Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It's 3 a.m. I wake from the pain in my arm, lying on the couch. I look for pain medication and water. 10 days ago, I learned that I needed surgery to repair a torn tendon in my ankle, which hadn't healed after three months. Four days ago, I had surgery to repair my broken wrist. And that was because I fell headfirst down the stairs at home, a consequence of the injured ankle. No need to worry about ankle surgery now. My wrist needed to heal sufficiently before I could use crutches needed after the ankle surgery. As I wait for the medication to start easing the pain, my mind starts to race. I'm tired. The last three months have been so difficult. And now this. One of my fears has become reality. What happens when you live alone and face a health crisis? I've been alone since the first day after surgery. My friends call me. They pick up groceries. But work and family limit their time. The help I need most is emotional support, someone who knows how to listen and be with me. Panic sets in. How am I going to cope when I have ankle surgery? I can barely manage to take care of myself with my arm in a cast. What will I do when I'm using crutches for six weeks, unable to drive? If it takes three months for my wrist to heal, and then I have another ankle surgery, it will be at least six more months before I'm back on my feet. Why has this happened to me? Buddhist teachers hold out the possibility of meditation as a way to calm the mind from suffering. I try to focus my mind. Breathe in, breathe out. In, out. Stay focused here and now. Tonight, deal with the pain in my wrist. I don't need to worry about what will happen after ankle surgery. Breathe in, breathe out. Everything will be all right. But it's not all right. I feel lonely, afraid. This feels terrible. Breathe in, breathe out. In, out. I don't want to be alone right now. I feel, I feel so unhappy. Now, Think for a moment and finish the story. How does it end? Fill in the blank. Happiness is. Perhaps a white knight rides to the rescue. I like that. A nice fairy tale ending. Or I escape into a world of denial shutting out unpleasant feelings, perhaps eventually replacing pain medications with alcohol or food. Maybe 
I try to find happiness by buying new clothes, the latest and greatest home entertainment system, or some other thing. Or, as soon as possible, I return to work, staying late and working weekends, staying busy as a distraction. Perhaps the unhappiness grows and becomes bitterness, anger at life, and blaming others for my unhappiness. Back to the middle of the night. Lying on the couch, all I can do right now is breathe in, breathe out. I hear the voice of Stephen Cope from my yoga CD. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. Let everything be okay. I realize I face a choice. Do I race down my well-traveled path of panic and fear? Or do I continue to do nothing except to breathe, be in my situation, and deal with each challenge as it arises? I know I'll be here on the couch for at least another week. For now, I manage my anxiety by breathing and slowly fall back to sleep as the pain medication starts to work. Like many stories, the ending is another beginning. My wrist heals after several months of physical therapy and exercise. Even my ankle heals enough that I don't need surgery. I'm thankful I do not need to solve the problem of six weeks on crutches. However, my ankle has not totally healed. Each day I wake up not knowing how my ankle will feel. It aches and swells. I never know how much activity I'll be able to do before I need to rest. I feel guilty since I could be doing my rehab exercises more consistently. It's difficult to maintain the required ongoing motivation. On the outside, I look fine. Most people don't know that it's an ongoing struggle. Daily, I am reminded that the future is unknown and in many ways out of my control. Local author Dana Snyder Grant expresses this so well in her recent book, Just Like Life, Only More So. In 1991, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She writes, living with illness is about living with vulnerability, about being susceptible to loss and hurt. It's just like life, only more so. For we all have vulnerabilities, your friends earn more money than you do, you have a weight problem, you divorce, you lose your job, a loved one dies. We are all susceptible to loss, all the time, to the losses that come with being human. When we're vulnerable, the illusion that we are safe is shattered. It may be a cliche, but vulnerability teaches. It teaches me to appreciate the moment to value human connection, to cherish the ease of simplicity. Fast forward, Sunday, June 20, Sunday, July 20th, 16 months after that night on the couch. How is my story ending? At times, I have looked to all of the options previously stated. Yet, throughout the months, Another storyline weaves in and out, 
one of courage and perseverance. What is happiness? When you feel those unhappy times, when life isn't the way you want it to be. This is when happiness is faith. It may be the faith to wait, to remember the truth that everything changes. Or it is the faith that perseveres, that holds a heart that is open to pain and possibility, to healing. As Mary Oliver writes, and if your spirit carries within it the thorn that is heavier than lead, if it's all you can do to keep on trudging, there is still somewhere deep within you a beast shouting that the earth is exactly what it wanted. Each pond with its blazing lilies is a prayer heard and lavishly answered. Whether or not you have ever dared to be happy, whether or not you have ever dared to pray. Happiness. Happiness is the spiritual experience of living every minute with love, grace, and gratitude. A pretty simple yet profound definition of happiness by Dennis Waitley, yet pretty difficult for us to understand and to put into practice. However, some seem to grasp this golden ring quite easily. My cousin's son, Jonah, is one. Jonah is a die-hard Sox fan. He lives and breathes baseball and the Red Sox. His dream, since the age of reason, has always been to tour Fenway Park, and if he's lucky, see a game. Jonah visited me two summers ago from his home in Coconut Creek, Florida. After an amazing morning of touring Fenway and watching Jonah take in every inch of the park, with the correct answer, to every question that the guide asked the group, Jonah attacked me with this enormous hug, and I love you, and a big thank you for the bestest, happiest day of his life. This little guy, this eight-year-old, gets it. This one morning was one minute of grace and gratitude in his life. He still talks about it, in fact, just a few weeks ago, Jonas attended his first live Sox game in Boston. Unfortunately, the Sox lost. Not a happy day for Boston, but Jonah was over the moon. Now, I, on the other hand, didn't seem to grasp the understanding of happiness as easily as my little cousin. It took me a good chunk of my life to identify my personal happiness, and now, in retrospect, I realized it was all so simple. My two greatest role models, mom and dad, were setting the example every day of my life. This quote from the American writer Ramona Anderson seems to encapsulate what my parents modeled and what I now try to live. People spend a lifetime searching for happiness, looking for peace. So they chase idle dreams, addictions, religions, and even other people, hoping to fill an emptiness that plagues them. And the irony is, the only place they ever really needed to search was within. 
Now, I don't think my parents were born knowing this or even had this ta-da moment when it all made sense to them. I'm not exactly sure how they figured it all out. They both came from very poor Italian immigrant stock. My dad stepped into his father's role as head of the household by default when Grandpa died at a young age and my grandmother, an amputee, was left with five of her eight children to care for. Two of my dad's sisters subsequently died of TB in a sanitarium on Castle Island, and the rest ranged in age from 10 to 16. My parents brought them all up, married them off, and even took some of them back in. My mom was the third child of eight, taken out of school to help my maternal grandmother care for mom's younger siblings and my maternal grandfather's relatives as each one of them emigrated from Italy. Both my parents worked hard all their lives. Their marriage was arranged, and they began their life together in a third-floor cold-water flat, a house filled with dad's family, which included not only his mom and siblings, but nieces, nephews, uncles, and aunts, all under my parents' roof at one time or another. To add to their difficulties, my mother was told she could not bear a child. This was devastating news, news that might break one's spirit, but not my parents. It took them 15 years and a few near-death tries, but here I stand today as proof of my parents' positive attitude towards life. I can tell you without a bit of hesitation that my birth was one of, if not the happiest day of both their lives. They reminded me of it over and over again. And even today, when I visit my only aunt and uncle left, they'll pinch my cheek and call me Beleza and tell me how much joy my birth brought to the family, and especially to my parents. Of course, their careful distress my birth made them happy. Not much is said about the trials that I brought into their lives, especially as a young man questioning my own direction in life. When I reflect on my parents and our home and our family, what stands out in my mind is music and laughter. No matter how hard they work, how tough things were, mom and dad always filled the house with music and laughter. They'd sing duets and solos, and Dad loved to tell stories and make people laugh and smile. It was right in front of me, but I missed it. I finally figured out that I need an occasional reminder when it comes to my happiness. There have been several ta-da moments in my life, some quite profound and some pretty simple, more of an aha rather than a ta-da. But for me personally, I've discovered that when I'm doing service, Somehow inter in working in the interconnected web, like going to New Orleans, my life becomes crystal clear. Sometimes I don't get the message from the universe straight the first time. In fact, it might take a few tries to get to my ta-da moment, but when it happens, it's really difficult to contain my joy. One such moment, one of my more profound ta-da moments, occurred upon my return from the missions in Haiti. I had just left the Franciscan order. My life seemed to be at odds when a very dear person, a former teacher, asked if I would join a team headed to Haiti 
to work with Mother Teresa and the Sisters of Charity. There seemed to be no question in my mind that this is what I needed to do. If I could focus on others and help in any way possible, like my parents help their families, then I could gain some clarity, some happiness. I knew my heart could sing. I just needed to teach it to recognize the notes. What I experienced there was so profound, so earth-shattering for me, that when I returned, I didn't speak to anyone for an entire week. There was just too much to digest, to try to understand. The native Haitians live lives of such unbelievable difficulty that they constantly amazed me with their ability to revel in the simple joys of life, not letting the pain and suffering of their situation dampen their spirits. While in Port-au-Prince, I lived in an orphanage for older girls. Each day I made my way out into the children's ward of the local hospital to just feed and change the little ones. The sisters were doing an impossible job. One visiting doctor, two staff nurses, and three volunteers. I've never worked so hard in my life. Feeding time alone was something out of a movie. As soon as the bowls of porridge arrived on the ward, the children who could walk basically attacked the volunteers. I'd sit on the floor surrounded by undernourished toddlers with swollen bellies, their mouths hanging open, just waiting for a spoonful of food. This went on three times a day, seven days a week for the duration of my stay in Port-au-Prince. I dragged myself back to the girls' orphanage around 10 each evening and find a lovely table set for us all with humble offerings, but given with such sincerity and warmth and love. Each night after dinner, the girls would surround me, showing me their sewing projects and laughing at my attempts to speak their language. The joy in their faces confused me. How could they be this happy and have so little? I experienced this over and over again in the House of the Dying, at Father Bean's school, where he taught the boys woodworking skills and fed them two solid meals a day. In the backcountry, working in the schools, the children walking two to three hours in each direction for a few bits of knowledge and a hot meal. The day I left, the girls presented me with this shirt made from their own hands, and one of the village boys gave me a statue that he carved. He was sporting my jeans, sunglasses, and a t-shirt. Swa Elda had asked me if I would mind giving him my sunglasses, but when he came to collect them, I could not help noticing him looking longingly at my t-shirts and jeans, lying on the bed, ready to be packed. I seemed to be tongue-tied for the longest time after I returned home. I remember just wanting to be with my family and friends, to eat some good food, to hear my dad's stories, to watch my parents dance and hear them sing. I'd walk the beach each morning, as I still do, and think of my days in Haiti and re reflect on a quote from Buddhist teachings, a belief my Haitian friends seem to have woven into their life's fabric. There is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Since then, 
The notes for me seem to have fallen into place. My heart, yes, my heart is able to sing a song of joy. And I can honestly say, despite life's challenges, I truly am a happy man.